can't talk anymore. I know. (laughs) Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest new readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're sharing some of our favorite memoirs. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest reads, and have book talk about memoirs and why we enjoy reading them. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. It truly helps us connect with other book lovers. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am good, except for the, they're apparently tearing up the road outside my house right now. So sorry if you can hear that in the background. <laughs> I can't. So I hope, I'm hoping we're good. I think our editor can probably fix it in post, right? He's so good. He can do anything. <laughs> anything. We got to butter him up because we have some, you know, extra work for him to do this month with bonus content. We sure do. But we are, we're getting better at keeping it flowing. I think so. I do think so. Well, this is our, what, 25th episode? Yes. 27th episode by this point? That's right. Buzzsprout did send us an email about that. Yeah. So that's crazy. I mean, it. I don't know. In certain ways, I'm like, wow, that's so many episodes. But like now I just feel like it's a part of our day. We've been doing it so long, you know? Even I know. though it's it, only been five months. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies. I wish it wasn't flying into winter. It was really cold on our walk this morning. So I'm going to try to embrace that and change up and get into some winter reading. But I don't know. I, I feel like I might wish it wish it away and, and be ready for spring starting in December. <laughs> I know. I'm ready for cozy books. Like I'm ready for big, chunky boys. Mm. I really want to read... I know like right now when we're recording, the Booker Prize is about to be announced. And right. I really want to read Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Mm-hmm. Is that who it's by? I don't know. I have to look it up now. Dang. I think you're right. I was right. Wow. Good for me. Okay. So our editor, we are putting him to work because we have a couple of bonus episodes coming up for our patrons. But we did want to make an announcement that on our main show that we will be off next week for Thanksgiving. So miss us. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say about it. (laughs) So, well, we will miss talking, but we will return after this this short commercial break. (laughs) Oh podcast God. break. We will be back. So yep. there'll be a two week, just a two week gap. And we're just taking one Tuesday off and mm-hmm. then we'll be back. Exactly. That'll be fun. It'll be our first break since we started. In the It'll be our it. first break. Mm-hmm. Now that we'll have a chance to maybe read extra, are we going to yeah. do it? I'm going to try. I know. Obviously, of course we're going to try. And like <laughs> I, we were just thinking like, okay, the weather's getting colder. Do you think your reading is changing? Well... In a weird way, yes. I think, well, I'm not in in the mood for spooky at all anymore. No, me either. I'm like done (laughs) with spooky season. But but mysteries and thrillers, Mm -hmm. 
I'm feeling split on those, which is really weird because I tend to read mysteries and thrillers in the winter a lot. But right now, and I don't know, maybe it's because of the memoir reading. I'm in this groove of like memoir Mm -hmm. and possibly some literary fiction. Yeah. Which is odd. I don't usually seek that out. If somebody recommends it to me, I might go ahead and pick those types of books up. But I'm feeling like reading something heavier and Mm -hmm. deeper and not necessarily longer, but just heavier and deeper. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I want to read something that makes me think I want a book that'll just really kind of stick with me for a really long time. I am interested in the long story. Like I really kind of just want to get immersed in something. Although I have been enjoying reading memoir for this episode. I think Mm -hmm. I do want to squeeze in a few more nonfiction books in the month of November. And then I guess we're just wrapping up the year. I'm going to really let my mood reader tendencies take over and kind of just let myself read whatever the heck I want to, whether it's 2022, if it's backlist, or if it's books that I wanted to get to earlier in 2021. So I guess we'll see what we come up with. It could be kind of interesting. Right. And that is kind of what we do anyways, right? We let our moods take us Mm -hmm. unless we have a specific topic that we are really reading for. Exactly. Yes. Well, do you want to get started with what you're loving lately? Yes. My loving lately, you inspired me a bit for it. A couple of weeks ago, you brought a recipe. So I thought, you know what, for this week, as the weather is getting colder, as soon as November 1st hit, I swear the temperature dropped like 30 degrees. So it is now soup season. Mm -hmm. And I am very excited to share some of my favorite soup recipes. So we had two already this week, and it's only Wednesday. I made a copycat Panera broccoli and cheddar soup from the girl who ate everything. It was so good. I made that on Halloween night. It was perfect after a a night of trick-or-treating. And then yesterday, Jonathan made this creamy spinach tortellini soup with chicken. And it's from this recipe site called Salt and Lavender. And that was also delicious. I posted a picture of the soup to my Instagram story and somebody somebody commented and goes, wow, people from the Midwest love soup. And I laughed for like 10 <laughs> minutes because it's completely true. Like it's just something that happens when the weather gets cooler, I, at least in my house. I mm-hmm. kick on that crock pot and I'm like ready to go. Give me some crusty bread and I am all set. And that's it, really. That's I'm keeping it simple today, but that's truly what I've been loving. And of course, we'll link to those recipes in our show notes. Yeah, I saw that picture that you put in your stories and I was I was going to message you and say, that looks good. And then I thought, I'll just wait and talk to you and find out what that was. See, it was it was really delicious. Yes. And it had a lot of vegetables, too. Like it wasn't a like, you know, super creamy or, you know, terrible for you soup. It was really tasty. And the baby likes soup a lot, which is fun. Oh, that's good. I'm a picky eater uh-huh. in general. Yeah. And my favorite soup is probably vegetable soup. Mm hmm. So, <laughs> which is kind of, is that boring? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. No, it could be, if it's done really well, then heck yeah, I would eat a vegetable soup. Yeah, I like, I like that. Now that you mentioned that, I need to go get some ingredients for that, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd be willing to try some others. There was a lot of vegetables in it, but it did have some chicken. So I don't know, that might be too Love spicy that. for your palate. <laughs> <laughs> I can do, I can do some chicken. All right. All right. All right. All right. What have you been loving lately? Well, I am bringing an app today. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's called Wordscapes. Have you have you heard of that? 
I live for wordscapes. I are you serious? <laughs> yes. Are you joking? I wish I was joking. <laughs> I know it's it's happened so many times where you've brought something that I already know about or that we like. That now I'm like, should I like react authentically and tell you that I know this or should I pretend yes. I've never heard of it? Okay. Yeah, no, this was really when I was breastfeeding, like this was I would like play wordscapes all the time. So tell okay. us about it. Well, I do think it's probably pretty popular, but it is a so it's like a word challenge game, a word puzzle game. And it says for 10 minutes a day, you can sharpen your mind and it prepares you for your daily life and challenges. Now, I do believe that this probably would be really good for sharpening your mind. And I do it. I get so competitive with myself mm-hmm. and <laughs> I've been playing this for, I don't know, at least a couple years. I don't play every day, yeah, but it does keep your levels. So the word, the letters are in a circle. And you get a kind of like a crossword puzzle type of setup. And what's really neat is they always give you a relaxing background. Mm -hmm. It could be a beach. It could be a mountain range. It really could be anything, but it's always relaxing. And I love that. (laughs) And then you just start, you just start, um, finding words Mm -hmm. by using your, you know, using your finger and connecting the letters. And the weirdest thing is I will find like two words and then I'll be like, well, I don't know. I I can't (laughs) figure I, there's literally no other ways to put these letters together. (laughs) I'm stumped. (laughs) And then, and then they have a little, um, like shuffle thing that you just get that uh, you click and it'll shuffle the letters. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I see, I can, I can see five more words. How did my brain not see that until the letters were shuffled? It's crazy. It is funny Um, how that happens. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and usually by the time you get to the end for me, I'm always like, well, I am never going to figure this out. And then if you have enough points, you can use a bullseye Mm -hmm. or, something that will give you a clue. So that's how you can, it, you can kind of compete with yourself, I guess. And then the higher levels that you go, the more complicated the puzzles get. Mm-hmm. So I am on probably, I think I'm on level 265. Do you know what level you're on? I am smiling because I was going to ask you what level you're on. Mm-hmm. I'm on, I'm on 472. Oh, of course. Okay. I was telling, I was obsessed for a while. I have not played it in many months, but this is the only game I have on my phone. Literally. That's it. I don't play a lot of games, but I, don't I love either. this one too. This is, I'm <gasps> telling you, uh, I can't even think of one other game that I have on my phone. Oh my. I know for, I, I think I may have tried Candy Crush at one mm-hmm. point. I never had. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I, and this is it. I like word search puzzle type things like that. Not crossword puzzles though. Mm-hmm. So this one's perfect. It's wordscapes. And I just, I download mine on through Apple. Yeah. And I think it's a free app. Yes, it's That is so fun. I'm really glad. And it's not even one you can like, it's not like a challenge each other kind of game or or play me in wordscapes, I don't think. Although John and I would play and like if we'd get stumped, we'd switch phones and then I would, you know. But it's funny because like you could stare at it for so long and then if you switch phones, I'm like, oh, it's right there. Of course, it's this word because I haven't Mm -hmm. been looking at it. I want to know the correlation between reading and like playing word search or doing word search games. I feel like there's some sort of correlation there. That's a good question. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I now I can think of the other game I used to play. It's Trivia Crack. That I play that one too. I love <laughs> trivia. I do love trivia. I haven't I touched too. that one in a long time, but that one was really fun. Yeah. That one's yeah. a competitive game like yes. with other people. Right. Right. So well, that's yeah. yeah. How wholesome. So, uh, what a wholesome little loving lately segment. We got soaps and, and word and, search. <laughs> and yeah. And challenging your brain. Yes. There you go. 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes. Yes. All right, let me tell you about my latest read. All right. What is it? Speaking of wholesome, this book warmed my heart in a very unexpected way. So my latest read is A Little Hope by Ethan Joella. I've had my eye on this book for a while. I brought it to our November slash December books on the radar. Then I saw it was getting picked up as a book of the month pick. So I said, okay, let me just try it. I picked it up to try a few pages to see if I was in the mood for it. And I got sucked in right from the beginning. It opens up in the morning and in the kitchen of Freddie Tyler. She's kind of doing her morning things, making coffee, getting busy, and getting organized for the day. But while she's doing that, she reflects back on her life in her marriage. She is actively trying not to worry about her husband, Greg, who has just received news that he has some irregularity in his blood work. And this is basically it. This is used as the jumping off point to examine the lives of many people in the town of Wharton, Connecticut. They are all loosely connected, and a new character narrates just about every chapter. Generally, as a reader, I prefer a deep dive on only a couple of characters versus getting to know many, but the author was so skilled, and he was able to really create this story in a way that made me feel like I got to know these characters without spending a ton of pages getting there. So I really liked that. You have Greg's perspective and his fear of what's to come, It sounds like it's going to be cancer, and, you know, you come to find out what that means for him. And he's really used to being this successful businessman, and he struggles with the idea of making the shift to being the one that needs to be taken care of. Then you have Luke, who struggles with addiction. He's a young man, but he's kind of finding, okay, he's getting older. He's really disappointed in the way his life has turned out, but he doesn't know how to fix it. And he also is not having a good relationship with his mother. They're kind of not communicating. Luke's mother is still mourning the loss of her husband and Luke's dad and wishes that she could find a way to get through to their son, but she's basically stumped. Then you have Luke's childhood girlfriend, Ginger, who returns to town for a wedding. She's super successful. She works as a veterinarian in Savannah, Georgia, and is back home for this wedding. And at the wedding, as they tend to do, it kind of causes her to really rethink the course of her life. Now, it sounds like there's a lot going on here, And it was, but the author was really able to weave these stories together pretty seamlessly. I was never confused. And I think there are some storylines that it was like drawn to more than others. But I was like rooting for some of these characters. I'm like, I've read, I don't know, 20, 25 pages about them. And yet I was kind of connected. I love the storytelling. And although this is a pretty quiet book, it really makes you realize that you never really know what's going on behind closed doors. This book is sad, but it wasn't as heavy as I was expecting. If you're worried that cancer is kind of a main storyline, definitely it's a part of the story, but there's a lot of the book that is not centered on cancer, although you do see Greg go through treatment, and I won't go any further than that, but I don't know that it felt super heavy to me. It was beautiful. I thought this was a very good pick for this time of year, and fans of character-driven books will really like this. This book is A Little Hope by Ethan Joella. Okay. Um, and that was your shelf edition, I 
think. Or did you? Oh, no, that was, was on the, your, one of your books on the radar. One of my books on the radar. Okay. And then I saw, oh, OK, it's getting a little buzz here. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't even intend to like read it, but I was like, like I said, I, I could not put it down. It was a really, really good story. Oh, gosh. I love when that happens. That happened to me with a town called Solace, where it's characters that quickly draw you in and yep. you're, you're there for the characters. Mm-hmm. And can tend to forget about the plot a little bit, right? Exactly. And that's what the book that you read recently that I was thinking, I wonder if they would go well together because they're kind of in that mm-hmm. similar vein. This one's short too. It's only about 288 pages. Okay. I think I'm on hold at the library for oh, that good. one. Okay. Yeah. Well, what have you been reading? Okay. I have started and finished within the last 24 hours, The Collective by oh. Allison Galen. A 24-hour read. A very bingeable This is very bingeable. And I will say every now and then I have to give this PSA. Do not read the Goodreads blurb. Got it. Got it. Just if this sounds good, I'm only giving, I'm going to give you a very short snippet. And then just, I wouldn't read reviews or, or the blurb. This book is about just how far will a grieving mother go to right a tragic wrong? Camille Gardner is grieving. She's angry. And she's a mother who, five years after her daughter's death, is still obsessed with the privileged young man she believes to be responsible. When her rash actions attract the attention of a secret group of women called The Collective, Camille is drawn into a dark web of revenge-filled connections and diabolical plans for justice outside of the law. That's it. That's all I have. And that's all you need to know because If you like a fast-paced, bingeable, revenge thriller, Mm -hmm. then you just go pick this up. The audio is fantastic. I would imagine it's perfectly as good in print, but Mm -hmm. this narrator was excellent. So you know how I sometimes say, I love stories that that are set before cell phones. You do, yes. Okay. (laughs) I've heard it a time or two. Okay. Well, I really, really loved this story that wouldn't have been possible without the internet, the dark web, social media, the way the author brought in all of those elements, especially social media, Twitter and Instagram, especially. I thought it was brilliant because they were interspersed throughout the story and it was just done in such a authentic way, mm-hmm. but that's, but none of it would have been possible without all of that. And then at some point there's a popular reality TV show that comes into play and that was fun. And I'm not even going to tell you what it was, but the way she grounded all of that into the story oh, was so good. I kept thinking, okay, I don't know why I haven't read this author, but she knows what she's doing. And it was tightly plotted. There was enough introspection from the mother because it is her perspective, but just enough introspection and dialogue to balance each part out. There's plenty of other characters. It's not just all her and I and me, me, me. Mm -hmm. And this plot, if you like plots that cause you to think about what would I do? especially if you're a parent, what would I do? And the author goes to 
dark places. I was just going to say, is this dark? It, she goes to dark places. Okay. And that's all I can tell you. Great. And also, I found this to be a, like, be careful what you wish for story that explores grief, connection, and that innate desire for revenge. I think it would make a great book flight with confessions that we that you brought and then I read and we both loved Confessions by Kane Minuto. Oh man, definite book flight. It would be great. So that was The Collective by Allison Galen. Excellent. You don't need to say anything else. I will absolutely <laughs> pick this up when you said, you know, I love revenge thriller. So this I thought, okay, this is actually also a book of the month pick for November. We did not plan that, but Mm -hmm. I saw it. I was like, oh, how interesting. We both had book of the month picks for November. I thought when I read the synopsis, like I I briefly glanced at it and I thought, ooh, this can go either way. This can be campy and dumb or this can be like really well thought out and and well done. So I'm glad to hear the latter. It is. I would say, and I haven't read this author before, like I said, Mm -hmm. I would say what I felt while while I was listening to it was this author is experienced in plotting and because the twists were like, like subtle. I mean, something happened and, and I was like, oh, okay. I did not see that coming. It wasn't like, you know how sometimes you get to a twist and you're like, oh, okay. That was stupid. And I don't even know the just really, really well done. And I would also say I've been having some chats over on Instagram about reading slumps. If you are in a reading slump or have been in a reading slump, try something like this because yes. it's not super long. You could probably, if you have the opportunity, just binge it in a day or two. That's so, what but, I'm yeah. like furiously trying to download this or put a hold on it at the library because this sounds really good. Okay. I'm glad you've sold me on that because when those types of books are well done, that's that's my catnip. Awesome. Oh, one more thing. Oh, what? Yeah, I would. I, I really hope you do read it soon. If you can have someone to available to read it with you or to talk to as soon as you turn the last page, you're going to want that. Oh, okay. <laughs> just a little FYI. I wish I did. And I, I need to figure out who I can talk to about it. All right. Well, and it looks like she is an Edgar Award winning author. So that means she's won some prizes for writing specifically mm-hmm. in this genre. That makes complete sense. Okay. Twist my arm. I guess I'll pick it up. <laughs> uh-huh, you must. All, All right. right. Good stuff. So you want to talk memoir? Shall I we, do. Should we take a hard left? All right. So we picked this one because I've always been a fan of reading memoir for as long as I can remember really reading a lot of books. This goes all the way back to James Frey and his memoir that wasn't actually a memoir. Mm -hmm. But we saw one of our Patreon members say that we should dedicate a whole episode to the genre. And we thought, oh, that would be a really fun way to kick off nonfiction November. So we each are bringing three that we've read. And then we're going to have a couple of like quick recommendations as well. Now, Do you read a lot of memoir? Is this something that you're more recently getting into? I think 2021 might be my best year for memoirs so far. I've read eight. And just looking back at my Goodreads, I don't think I've read this many memoir in one year before. And even going back maybe three to five years, I rarely read memoir. Mm -hmm. I was trying to kind of pinpoint why I'm feeling like reading more memoir. Mm -hmm. I think it's me. Do you think it's you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I looked back and I have read six memoirs so far this year and five essay collections because I'm me and I'm obsessed with 
finding out definitions of things for this episode, it got me thinking about what is the difference between memoir and essay? And what is the difference between memoir and autobiography? So I did want to share this. I thought Celadon had a helpful explanation on their website. They define memoir as a narrative written from the perspective of the author about an important part of their life. Whereas an autobiography is also, of course, written from the author's perspective, but the narrative spans their entire life and usually places the focus on facts, the who, what, where, when, why, and how of their entire life's timeline. Authors of memoir choose a pivotal moment in their lives and try and recreate everything through storytelling. And this is kind of why some people are able to have multiple memoirs, like, for example, Augustin Burroughs, who I love, or Danny Shapiro. They have each had many different pivotal moments in their lives that they wanted to kind of center their memoir around. As for memoir versus essay, a memoir takes a reader on a journey through a writer's life, whereas the essay collection takes the reader on a journey through a writer's thoughts with their real-life experiences sprinkled in, which made perfect sense to me when I thought about it. So a couple of the essay books that I've read this year, I've read The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Rose Wilson and A Very Punchable Face by Colin Jost. And those were definitely essays. So there's funny stories, thoughts, but it's not linear necessarily. It's just kind of funny thoughts or, or reflections on the world with some real experiences filtered in. Whereas memoir is more or less like, here is a part of my story. Okay. I'm glad you shared that with us and me because I didn't know the difference between essay and memoir. That makes sense for why I prefer memoir mm-hmm. over, I don't even think I've read any essay collections. Oh, really? mm-hmm. I don't think so. But I really like the snippet. I like the fact that somebody takes a part of their or a piece of their life and recreates it through memories. Yes. I realized especially in reading the three that I'm bringing today, I don't need all the facts. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I would prefer their story not get bogged down in facts. Yep, I get that. And I've only read a couple of autobiographies. The one that I read recently that came to mind was Michelle Obama's autobiography, Becoming. That one I would consider more of an autobiography because it really does go from her time as a child growing up in Chicago all the way past the presidency. So it's kind of chronological, whereas a memoir might have given us just her eight years in the White House. That's how I see it. Okay. Do you prefer one over the other? I definitely prefer memoir. I don't think I've read very many autobiographies or even biographies at all. I love to read memoir because I'm fascinated by people. I just, I've always been that way. I think a part of it's in due to the fact that I'm an only child. So growing up, I kind of looked outward for a lot of understanding and a lot of norms and like study how people act. And I think I kind of extrapolated that to reading memoir. And also we both love psychology. And so there's just something Mm -hmm. fascinating about somebody who's able to really share their personal experience. And it allows me to reflect back on my own life. Right. When I was looking back too, I have such a passion for psychology and criminal justice that my early memoirs were about wrongful convictions Mm. and Mm -hmm. getting life specifically is one of the very first memoirs that I read about someone being sent to prison who didn't commit the crime. So, and that was by Michael Morton. And then I've just branched out from there. Yeah. And I think I prefer either just criminal justice or I don't know, like, Memoirs where I can be emotionally drawn in to mm-hmm. the story. And I'm comparing that to 
a celebrity memoir. That's exactly where I was going to ask or where I was going with my my thoughts is that you can have memoirs from regular people. You can have memoirs from people that are authors, but also have a memoir like Mm -hmm. Stephen King has one. Or you can have celebrity type memoirs. I am an equal opportunist, although I think if I had to look at the two, the ones I'm bringing today, there's a music memoir, there's a chef memoir, and then an author sharing her memoir. So I don't know that I've read as many memoir from quote unquote regular people. Oh, okay. I think I have definitely read more from regular people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I'm trying to think, and okay, so were there any memoirs that you can think of that you DNF'd or you wish you had DNF'd? I can think of one that I DNF'd for this episode, and I am shocked that I did. It was Robin Roberts's memoir. I don't know. Oh, oh I, yeah. I, I have seen that. Yeah, she's a journalist, and, and you know, she has an incredible story from, she's had cancer twice, and she has mm-hmm. a very kind of prolific career. And I don't say this lightly, but... I only read a couple chapters. It wasn't that well written. I was like, where am I going here? Like there was like, okay, all of a sudden I'm at this award show and now I'm over here with my girlfriend and now I'm over here with this guy I interviewed. And I'm like, it was all over the place. And she may have settled in, but I was mm. like, I can't follow, which is funny because usually I'm less critical of memoir because I'm like, all right, this is your story. Tell me a story. But I think because she is a journalist, I had expected like, oh, this is going to be really compelling and well-written. And I just wasn't getting that feeling right off the bat. So that's one that I did DNF. Okay. Yeah. I want to circle back to a question too that you just made me think of. But for me, I had DNF'd very popular, mm-hmm. wild by Cheryl oh, Strait. That's right. I wish I, I did DNF that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know I tried it more than once and I, I can't remember my exact reasons, but for I could not. I mean, I was on the trail too. I, I it wasn't I that was, I only read a couple pages. I was I was with her on the trail and I don't I thought know you meant you had visited the trail, the Pacific no, Coast Highway. No, You're I like, was metaphorically. I metaphorically, was I was, you know, way into yeah. the story or somewhat. I don't know. But here's one I wish I had DNF'd. <laughs> Green Lights by oh. Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. And that's how he yeah. I just All right, mm-hmm. all right, all right. All right. And and I did the audio. And do you know how many times? He said that. Really? (laughs) Many. And it just, well, I want to like teach me something. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to just be, I don't want you to tell me an an entire story and and try to entertain for that entire story. Now, that's just like, that's my opinion about how I felt Mm -hmm. about that book. But I didn't finish it thinking, well, wow, I learned X, Y, Z about him that I didn't know. I and nothing really stood out to me at all. Got it. That makes sense. And I'm thinking the two kind of celebrity memoirs I have today definitely taught me things. Okay. But I also quite like reading memoir from people from a different background than me, whatever that looks like, sexual orientation, race, whatever it is, you know, countries, all of those memoirs are so personal. It really mm-hmm. is like the only chance that we can get to almost walk in another person's right. shoes. I really like that they're sometimes messy, sometimes gritty. That's life, babe. Like mm-hmm. that's how life is. And like sometimes you're like, oh gosh, I really wish it had gone this way, but this is a person's true story. And I feel like reading memoirs is a good way to invite yourself to get to know somebody's experience in a way that you otherwise would not have been able to do. 
Right. And also, don't you think, I think you've just briefly touched on it, but reading someone's story is depending on what the story is about, you can gain tremendous empathy for other people Mm -hmm. in their situations. And how did they either get through it Mm -hmm. or not? Right. 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 Exactly. Do you give greater leeway to your critique of reading? Will you give more more patience to a memoir? Will you give as far as the plotting, if there is any, and the narrative structure and sometimes the writing because it's someone's personal story? Absolutely. And I have a harder time reviewing memoir almost because this is a person's story and I feel like what right do I have to poke holes or to judge mm-hmm. their their narrative? I'll probably keep going on a memoir more so than I would on a regular book, especially if they have something interesting to say or unless the writing is really bad. That's the one thing I'm going to be like, I, I cannot read this. I'll usually stick with it if it's a compelling enough story. You asked if I had wished I had DNF'd any. There's a memoir called A Beautiful, Terrible Thing, A Memoir of Marriage and Betrayal by mm-hmm. a woman named Jen Waite. I don't know. I I think I stuck around too long. I did finish it. I didn't like it almost at all. (laughs) And so, and while I, I, the thing is, I felt empathy for this author, but I was like, I am not enjoying the story. Something about it. And and this was probably three years ago that I read it. So it's been a little bit of time. I mean, it was, you know, pretty much right when it came out, but I'm like, boy, I just don't think it was my story. And I probably Mm would have been better if I just said, eh, you know, let's, let's call it. Is that the book with, her husband was a sociopath. Yeah, he okay. was. It, here's my problem. He was ish, but he was also an immigrant. He was also like he they got married and he kind of like contoured to getting married as far as I remember. But there was just like a lot of inequity. She was very, very privileged. Like, oh, yeah, my parents gave me this loan so I could do this and that. And it just kind of felt tone deaf in a lot of ways for me. OK, OK, got it. I do have a couple of all-time favorites that I feel like are very popular, so I did not bring them today because I'm like, all right, what else can be said about these? But I want them to be in our memoir episode. Specifically, I have Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, five stars, must, must, must read and listen if you can, Educated by Tara Westover. I really enjoyed that one. And then Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Unwache. Absolutely love that book. Don't miss the epilogue on that book. That one like ripped out my heart and I loved it. Oh, okay. I have notes from a young black chef on my TBR. I debated about that for this episode, but yeah, I don't think there was a copy available and I'm just going to get the audio. I think. Yeah. I listened to that one. It was really good. Okay. Yes. So did you read Born a Crime? I listened to that one. Okay. I was like, hold on. Yes. Notes. Yes. But like, first of all, have you read Born a Crime? Yes. I've, I listened to that one, I think, for book club in the past. Yes. I enjoy, and I, I really enjoy Trevor yeah. Noah. Yeah, it was a good story. He's really smart. Okay. What are your, do you have any top tops? Well, I've mentioned mine on the podcast before, mm-hmm. and I made a list. Actually, I went through my Goodreads just for fun to see how many memoirs I've actually read. These they're t- they top my list. I have to mention them again because you're asking. Mm-hmm. The Sun Does Shine. Yep. And maybe you should talk to someone. Yep. So The Sun Does Shine, Anthony Ray Hinton, Lori Gottlieb wrote the other one. I would put When Breath Becomes Air yes. in there too by Paul Calanthini. All three of those are on my shelf. I know. You haven't read any of them? No, I haven't. I know you haven't read The Sun Does Shine. I yeah. keep hounding you about that. And it's um, just, maybe this is what I will do in my 
you know, end of November break. I can squeeze one of those in. Yeah. And the reason that those specific books, especially The Sun Does Shine and Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, top my list, I still think about them. Like I was mm-hmm. just at Trader Joe's a couple days ago. Every time I go to Trader Joe's, I think about one of the people, one of the clients that Lori Gottlieb had, whose story made up so much of that book. I think about her. And I read that almost three years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love and it. I love. I mean, the, isn't like, that, you know, like it stays with you. Yeah, it's imprinted on you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Okay. okay, good. I'm glad you uh, gave us a reminder for those. All right. Well, let's share our books. Okay, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. So this first one is probably the most unique memoir I've ever read. And I brought it because it is one of the most haunting stories that I've read. It's In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. And I call this haunting because both of the subject matter, it's about uh, domestic abuse, but also because of the way that it's told. Carmen Maria Machado is an author by trade, but for years she struggled to put words to her experiences in being in a same-sex abusive relationship. Obviously, eventually she was able to craft this book. It's a beautiful book, but it's also very haunting. It's a, I can't use another, I can't think of another Mm -hmm. adjective because that's just what it did for me. So she tells the story of what she went through, through a series of these little vignettes. And she starts each chapter with dream house as blank, dream house as this, dream house as that. And what the dream house that she's referring to is the home that her girlfriend lived in in Bloomington, Indiana, while she was getting her graduate degree. So she kind of just uses that as like a like a framework and then jumps into a part of her story. This book is super unique, and it, it took me a little bit to get my bearings, but I do think that was the point. I think it was a narrative choice in the way that she wrote it. So the story itself jumps around, and you kind of get to know this couple through various stages of their relationship. But what Machado does a great job at is slowly pulling the reader in And getting them to realize that abuse isn't always in your face, overly aggressive. It can be subtle. It can be unnerving. It can eat away at you. And it can make the person that's being abused almost feel like they're being gaslit. Like, Mm -hmm. what's real? Is this really happening? And in that way, this book almost felt like horror, like kind of like a, a haunted house type thing. It was very, very interesting. You really felt the author's push and pull and her confusion I brought one of the best sentences because I just had to. And she writes, a reminder, perhaps, that abusers do not need to be and rarely are cackling maniacs. They just need to want something and not care how they get it. I thought that was a really good way to describe the relationship she had with her former partner. I was rooting for her to get out. I was also rooting for her partner to get help. And like, Mm -hmm. obviously, she definitely had things going on, too. And at the same time, I was happy the author was able to find the words to share her story. And she also filters in context around the issue of abuse as a whole and specifically same-sex partner abuse, which I honestly hate to say it. I don't know if it's something I really thought a ton about before reading this book. And I really felt for the author when she described how often people minimize what she was going through because they didn't believe that it could happen in a same-sex partnership. I haven't read anything like this before, and obviously it's definitely stuck with me. If you like audio, I say try listening to this. She narrates and does so in a very memorable way. It's almost a performance, but it's very subdued. Really, really interesting. And this book is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Okay, that sounds really good. 
And I don't think I've heard of that. So no. Oh, good. Okay. No, no. I'm glad that you brought that one. Excellent. And and the little snippet from her actual words. Mm-hmm. That oh. was a good. Yeah. That like there was just so many so many times that I highlighted this book. I was like, okay, I'm listening to it, but I wish I had it in print because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I gotta save this sentence. Like I, you know, I like to collect sentences. I'm like, ah, this just kind of, I don't know, it just seared my brain. Right. <laughs> and that and that's what. I found in a lot in memoirs, especially these, there's so many times that you're like, oh, I want to remember that sentence. Yes. I want to remember that thought. I want to mm-hmm. remember that lesson. Mm-hmm. And I have sure. Yeah, this one's on my list. I have a list that I keep in my phone of books I want to purchase for my home bookshelf. And it's on my list because I want to go back through it and kind of take these with me, even though I am not going to be in a same-sex partnership, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's far out of my own sphere, but I still kind of felt like, oh, gosh, something about this really drew me in. Okay. All right. Well, I am going to start with something completely different, um, and it's <laughs> okay. called Personal Effects by Robert Jensen. If you've seen this around on NetGalley, or it's really not getting any buzz. Um, it has like a cell phone and keys, and it's got an interesting cover of personal effects. Mm. And what drew me to this was the title and the fact that this is written by <laughs> Robert Jensen, is the owner of the world's leading disaster management company. And his story chronicles the unseen world behind the yellow tape and explores what it means to be human after a lifetime of caring for the dead. Mm, That sounds really good. I had never even heard of this type of job. So he owns his own disaster management company. He has been doing this for decades. And our government has a division called Mortuary Affairs. Who knew? Okay. They hire companies like this for disasters. So 9-11, plane crashes. Mm -hmm. What he does in this book is take us through many of the disasters he's been called to. He talks about the Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, the Bali bombings, the 2004 South Asian tsunami, Hurricane Katrina, the 2010 earthquake in Haiti and the Grenfell Tower fire, to name a few, but those are biggie. And lots and lots of plane crashes and mass casualty things like that. So if you can't handle talk of plane crashes, then this might not be for you. But what he does is he try? I mean, and he will be called in at any time. So there's a, a story about how he managed to have a family. So a lot of his personal background, because he would get called for anything and he will fly there and he helps assist with the recovery of bodies in identifying victims and returning their personal effects to the surviving family members. Now, I don't want to give away so much of what I learned, but it was fascinating to know not only the ins and outs of who's in charge, especially when it's an international incident Mm -hmm. and there are Americans in Europe or whatever. And the fact that sometimes family members have to wait years to get personal effects back. And, you know, when you lose someone suddenly to a disaster, they're often 
there and gone. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that you are waiting for is their personal effects. Right. So it was really interesting to find out not only how did they recover these, but how do they get them back? Mm -hmm. And what is his place in helping people deal with grief and sudden loss? And how do they go about also identifying people in a lot of these very, very bad plane crashes, the tsunami? There's, there's some details on that. So just know that <laughs> it can get, it can get a little heavy. I actually binged this. I alternated print and audio and he does do a lot of the audio. And I just thought it was fascinating from beginning to end. There were definitely parts that dragged a little, mm-hmm. but I didn't care. I I now know so much information and so many things about this particular career and what it means to take care of the dead that I didn't know. That's so, fascinating. It is really, it's a really fascinating story. I I would suggest just if that sounds interesting, give it a try. It was Personal Effects by Robert Jensen. Did you buy this on Audible? No, I scribed had it. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I was wondering. Like, how did you get this book? Because I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a NetGalley copy. And then I ended up finding it on, on Scribed. Am I saying Scribed? Scribed? Yeah, Scribed. Scribed. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I have to wait till November 21st, but that's okay. I don't mind. Yeah. That sounds so freaking good. I, oh, man. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It made me think of two books. It made me think of Dear Edward. Did you ever read that fiction book? I have it. I have not read it. Okay. I don't know that it's for you. Not that it's not a good book. I liked it. Didn't love it. It's about a kid, though, whose whole entire family dies in this plane crash. Everybody mm-hmm. on this plane dies. But that's what made me think of it. I'm like, oh, geez. You know, like, you're right. What happens to these people and, like, pieces of people? Like, how exactly. do I know? Like, okay, is that my femur or is that somebody else's? Like, well, and he talks about how they go about navigating yeah. the process of that. And and it was really interesting that it's not always DNA. See, like I, that that's is that's actually not even what they prefer. And I'm not going to tell you, you know, all the finer points. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it if you like to learn mm-hmm. and it, you are okay with I, I don't even want to say gory, but it is mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the way because he does such a good job of describing what he sees when he gets to a plane crash or when he got to the hotel when the tsunami hit. Well, that's what I was thinking. I didn't realize. I was like, oh, so they send him around the world. But mm-hmm. you said because Americans are over there. He goes anywhere. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be only Americans. But the problem lies with the governments of who's in control of international disaster sites because there's so many different nationalities. Right. And so every government wants their people sure. found. And he has to try to kind of coordinate all of okay. that. Say no more. I have eight hours for this. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Okay. All right. What do you have next? All right. Next for me, you said earlier something that I thought was really interesting in that from your memoir, you like to learn. And I Mm -hmm. think that kind of gets at the core of why I really liked this specific book. It's called Eat a Peach by David Chang. And this is a chef or a foodie memoir. And I love those. So I tend to read those a lot. But I picked this up earlier this year. I knew almost nothing about David Chang as a person. I think I saw him maybe on Top Chef once or twice. 
But what I liked about him was that I knew nothing about his Korean culture. I knew nothing about how he rose to fame. And I, I guess I must have saw somebody recommended on Instagram. And I thought, I like the cover. Let me give this a try. David Chang gained his fame by opening a noodle restaurant named Momofuku in Manhattan. It was a unique business model for the time. By 2018, things completely blew up. He is now the owner and chef of his own restaurant empire with 15 different restaurants from New York to Australia. He's the star of his own hit Netflix show and podcast, was named one of the most influential people of the 21st century, and had a following over 1.2 million. And I'm like, I don't know. He's some guy on Top Chef. Whatever. I saw him once (laughs) on TV. Anyway, he calls his story his culinary coming of age. And what I liked about it is that, yes, it is a memoir, but it's also mixed in with a how-to guide of running a restaurant. He talks about the struggles of opening a restaurant, and he shares some tips and things that he's learned along the way. And he also talked about building a brand and how culture affects food and how there's a lot of, like, spices and how different cultures really attach to certain spices and, like, the overlap of that. So he does start the book, though, in a pretty linear way. He opens by sharing about his early life in Virginia, where he grew up as one of four, and he is the son of Korean immigrant parents. And he shared a lot about his feelings of isolation and loneliness during this time, and he explores his Korean heritage. In high school, he got into golf, and he was really good, but he was never able to achieve that level of success his father wanted for him, which hurt their relationship. And after he graduated, he couldn't find a job, so he somehow convinced his father to loan him money to open up a restaurant. And they had a complicated relationship, and this largely stemmed from how differently they grew up. His father grew up in North Korea, where it was about survival. And as a result, he had a hard time understanding David's desire to work in the restaurant industry, which he saw as menial work. He's like, you're never going to make a living from doing this. Like, why are we spending all of our energy in that? But David eventually got him to come around, and he shares a lot about his culture and his desire to push the boundaries of what Asian American identity is. He shares about his personal influences and about the gatekeeping in the restaurant industry. I really, really liked those parts. He also was friends with Tony Bourdain, which I thought any food memoir that mentions Anthony Bourdain is going to be interesting to me. Now, David got his start during the last tail end of when kitchens were kind of of that older era where it was normal for chefs to be verbally abusive and kind of rude to their staff. And a lot of drugs were done. And he had to really kind of break himself of that habit and learn how to be a leader without that authoritarian hand. And he eventually goes on, like I said, to achieve great success. But he also struggles a lot personally. In this memoir, he doesn't always paint himself in the best light. And I saw some like criticism of it in that people were saying he has an ego and this and that, which I think he kind of does. But also, I don't, it didn't bother me. He had this wry sense of humor that I kind of got. And my dad's also a restaurant owner. So I think I understand that culture. Like it just like made sense to me. What I loved about this was he also balanced his talk about the restaurant and the food industry with real talk about mental illness and about his own struggles with anger, depression, anxiety, and even thoughts of suicide. He also disclosed that he has bipolar disorder. And he, in interviews, is always very quick to correct people and say, like, this is an illness, just as you can have all the money in the world and have all the fame and family and be diagnosed with cancer. Same thing with bipolar disorder or other mental illness. It's 
just a part of your DNA, which I really liked. This is not all heavy. I think I'm painting it as kind of heavy, but there is also some really funny elements too. He travels a lot. Really, really good description of food. So this will make you hungry if, if you like that sort of thing. I loved it. I thought it was really honest and I completely devoured this book. Again, I do recommend this one on audio because he narrates. And I found, I was looking back, I almost always listen to memoirs on audio, especially mm-hmm. if the narrator is the author and if they can do it well. I really like that. But this book was Eat a Peach by David Chang. I was just thinking about saying that about audio. Yes. I, it, it really does work so well. I have to say, I don't know if I've ever read a memoir with my eyes once I started listening to books. I don't know. I think I almost only listen. I just love it. Well, I have one today that I actually read the entire thing in print form. Top to bottom? Because I don't have the audio. It's not. Yeah. At the time of this recording, it's not out yet. Oh, got it. Okay. Is that next for you? No, I'm going to save that for last. Actually, I could just do it. I could just talk about it next. It would be a good book flight with Eat a Peach. All right. Well, what is it? Okay. It is Workhorse, My Sublime and Absurd Years in New York City's Restaurant Scene by Kim Reed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that title is what drew me in. And then I was able to get a copy. So this was fascinating. I ha- And I'm wondering if you do, based on the fact that your dad has a restaurant and all that, I am fascinated by behind the scenes of restaurants. I don't know why. It's like a I work. I mean, I used to waitress in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you also fascinated just because I am. you grew up? Or Yeah. And I did grow up in the restaurant industry, but I was kept very separate. Like my dad did not. That was his thing. He did not like and not that he didn't involve me and my mom, but like we just never like came up in the restaurant in that way. Now, like it's down the street from us. So we'll go there on occasion for dinner. But I also waitressed. I worked at several different restaurants. I've bartended. I've done a lot of those things. I think I like the restaurant industry because it attracts a lot of very interesting personalities and a lot mm-hmm. of like it's like kind of gritty, but kind of glamorous in a weird way. I don't know. Right. right. You're exactly right. And she talks about that in this book. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know until I got this what restaurant who she was even talking about. And I had to Google. So this is <laughs> I did a lot of Googling because I didn't know most of these people only because I don't watch MasterChef and all of that. So this is a look at Kim's nearly two decades behind the scenes of the New York restaurant Babo including her time working with Joe Bastianich. I don't know him either. (laughs) He was one of the owners. And then he gained a lot of fame for Italy's version of MasterChef. Got it. So that's who who he is. I also, I mean, I had to pause once I started and just Google and see who these people were because I was so into the story. So Kim was a social worker by day, and oh. she worked in New York City for the homebound elderly in Brooklyn Heights. As soon as she was done with that, she she went straight to her job as hostess at Babo, where even the Pope would have had trouble scoring a reservation. Wow. And a, yeah, A-list celebrities squeezed through the jam-packed entryway like everyone else. There is talk of who was there and how did the staff respond? So if if you like those kind of like name dropping as far as celebrities go, Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun for that. So 
despite her whirlwind 15-hour workdays, she was very in debt. And that led her to apply to be Joe's personal assistant. And from there, she tells her story of someone who got so wrapped up in behind the scenes of the restaurant and the life and this glamour and the glitz, but also she wanted to make something of her career. Mm -hmm. And she became like so drawn into and addicted to the work, like 24 seven. That happens. Yeah. And the constant being on call and being on call and being on call. So you have that whole part, but you also have you have so much food and wine mm-hmm. and I mean fine wine. I've never I was like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm gonna need a whole separate time to Google this want like all the wines and <laughs> just kind of read more about that. But there there were summers in Italy. So if you like, you know, kind of virtually travel, um, she takes you there. And there's also those kind of like juicy behind the scene details about what people did in to get to even get a reservation there. Right. I mean, if the Pope can't get there, like what chance it, it do the rest crazy. of us have? <laughs> and I I kind of pulled up and looked at some pictures. It really doesn't look like a very big place. So I guess space was limited. This was a really, really good story about a girl who came of age at a time in of New York City's foodie craze and kind of what happens when your work takes over your life and you don't know yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. And then a scandal happened that really blew the whole thing apart. And I, I'll tell you what, I, there were parts that I found myself a, a little bit confused where I think like maybe the editing was a little off, but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It like, I just kept going. And then I, I would kind of flip back and be like, did I miss something? <laughs> it was that kind of feeling, but then it, it was okay. Like you said, I, I'm going to, I give more leeway to that. Um, it didn't bother me. Right. For a memoir. It, in, right. It didn't mm-hmm. bother me at all to want to put the book down. I really, really enjoyed this. I learned a lot. And this was one of those stories that I'm just glad I read because I just found it fascinating. And also kind of the found family yes. that she had yeah. it, within the restaurant industry. You get to know a lot of those people. And, you know, by the end, something happened with a few of them. And I was like, oh, and then I realized these are real people, <laughs> you know, like it was kind of sad yeah. and I felt sad for her. Anyway, I I do recommend this. I think this would be a good one for you. And maybe you'll be able to get the audio too. So that was Workhorse, My Sublime and Absurd Years in New York City's Restaurant Scene by Kim Reed. Um, Definitely going to read this ASAP. Is this out already or is this, when does this come out? This is a new release currently out on November 9th. Okie dokie. I will do my best to read that because that sounds so good. I read a ton of chef memoir not nearly enough by people of color and by women. So that's my goal in terms of reading chef memoir. I'm like, okay, I need definitely more by women. I've read maybe one or two, which is sinful considering the number that that I've read. And what was kind of neat about this one, it covers about 18 years. Yeah. 
I was, um, I was curious how long and it, it never felt too long mm-hmm. at all. Actually, it, it was just the right length and just a really good story from start to finish. Nice. All right. Yes. I love it. All right. What do you have next? I have my final one. And this one is my favorite of the bunch. It is a highly Tina specific title. <laughs> <laughs> it's the storyteller tales of life and music by Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Grohl, of course, is the drummer from Nirvana and the founder of the band, the Foo Fighters. When I tell you that I loved Nirvana growing up, they were probably my favorite band for a while. I wrote a little book report in like sixth grade, seventh grade about Nirvana. I had a t-shirt like I now they were like I missed them. It was 1994, like early 90s. And I was a little too young then. But once I caught them, I was like, okay, I am in. So needless to say, this book was very, very much in my wheelhouse. If you get a minute, I'm going to say the opposite of what Renee said for one of hers. Look at the synopsis on Goodreads because it's so weird. (laughs) It's so, so very written in his own words and his own voice. And basically what he's talking about is how he actually wrote this book with his own hand, whereas people were saying, oh, yeah, come out with a memoir. Just do a few interviewers and hire a ghostwriter. He's like, no. I'm going to do like I've done the entire time of my career and write this myself. And that totally rings true for this entire book. You can tell it is so personal. And I thought The Storyteller was a great title because he is so good at telling stories. I love that. And he just made everything interesting. So he chronicles his life up to this point. And he starts out with a recent fall. He was in a, at a concert in Sweden on this elevated stage, and he literally fell down, broke his fibula, and tore tendons in his foot to where his foot was, like, flopping around in his oh. shoe. Called over the paramedic and is, like, on the mic, like, guys, I'm coming back. Don't worry. They couldn't get him to the hospital fast enough because it was miles away, so they brought in a boot. This man had the paramedic on stage with him holding his foot to finish the show. It was so (laughs) rock and roll. It was so great. You can see it on YouTube because, of course, I had to stop and look and see it. But he also talks about some of his early struggles, his incredible career, his massive rise to stardom with Nirvana and his years with the Foo Fighters. But he also shares about his family. And even though he's this grunge rocker, he is a father of three girls, loves his wife, and he's so sweet when writing about them. He was raised by a single mother, and she is his best friend. So he talks about that a lot and about how he always consults her for advice. What I loved about this is you can tell he's so humble and so grateful and takes such joy in his life. Like, he's still kind of like, can you fucking believe it? Like, can you believe that I'm doing this? (laughs) He got me. Sorry, I'm all ramped up. And in the beginning, he shares a couple of turning points that, oh my goodness, kind of raised the hair on my my arms because he talks about a pivotal point where he has to decide if he's going to drop out of high school at 17 years old to travel the uh, country with this indie band called Scream, or if he's going to stay and graduate from high school and miss out on this opportunity. Obviously, he decides to go and it absolutely changes everything for him. Also then, has to decide a couple years later. He hears about this little band called Nirvana who's missing a drummer. At this point, they weren't the Nirvana that people know. They had one album. And he thought, oh, gosh, let me see. Let me call them. So he got on the phone with Kurt Cobain and basically just had to uproot his life in L.A. and move to Seattle to try it with Nirvana. Obviously, it's a great thing he did. But what it really made me think of, 
I am no rocker, but it makes me think <laughs> of the things that you say yes to or the things that you are just one mm-hmm. hair's breadth away from not doing or doing, and it changes your entire life. I'm a, like I said, I'm a massive fan of Nirvana. I don't know that you need to be in order to enjoy this. I think there was a lot there. He talks a lot about some of the adventures he has, about fatherhood, about being grateful. And I thought, okay, I figured there'd be a lot more chapters about the band themselves and like the members of his band and all of that. But he doesn't share a ton. It was like one or two chapters with Nirvana and they were wonderful. But then I realized they were together maybe three years, maybe a couple more before Kurt died. So Then he kind of talks about how he was 25 years old and has to make a decision. Like he could have retired on the money that they earned from Nirvana in that quick of a time. Or can he find a way to start over again and do what he loves, which is music? And again, of course, he's then founded the Foo Fighters. One thing that I think specifically you will like is that he is very much a down-to-earth person. He He gets into parts where he talks about how he believes in asking the universe for things and manifesting your success. He truly thinks like he he literally was like in the in his car at this altar he (laughs) built asking the universe to let him make a living doing music and manifesting success. It was really fun. I had to stop a few times to listen to Nirvana or Foo Fighters on Spotify. I was like, I cannot continue. I have to listen to Everlong right now in this moment. I also looked him up on YouTube a bunch. I thought this was really fun. Of course, I I do think that fans of his music will get a lot more out of it, but it was massively entertaining. He does a little bit of name dropping, but not in a, oh my God, I'm so awesome way, more of a, can you believe it? I just had dinner with Sir Paul McCartney Mm -hmm. in my home. It was really cool. I loved it. I loved it so much. This is The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music by Dave Grohl. Okay. Yeah, I do not get into music, uh-huh. <laughs> just about any sort. But you may have convinced me with the universe aspect. I'll, I'll, If I get a print copy, I'll read you the parts that he talks about. Because he talks about it a couple times. Like, I thought it was really cool that he was just, like, kind of sharing how he manifested the success. It was it was fun. And yeah, but- he's super rich, too. I looked up his net worth. I was like, oh, I wish I, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I thought, like, I don't know, a few million. And then I looked, I'm like, oh, I'm way wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, This is also an example of something I would probably dismiss, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure based on what you said, there's plenty that I like about what you said outside of the music group, which it sounds like was kind of a smaller part of the book. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of 90s and, you know, it's like kind of coming of age Mm -hmm. in that way. So, yeah, really cool story. I'm glad I read it. Okay. Great. And you did say you listened to that? I did. I did listen to it. And, and Does Dave, he narrate? Dave narrates. Yes, of course. Oh my gosh, Dave. He's really You're good on a first too. name basis. I wish I was on a first name basis <laughs> with him. He's really good at narrating too, which makes sense. He's a performer, like hello. But yeah, it was it was awesome. Okay, got it. I will give that a try. Okay. I'm sad it's over. I'm like sad now. Oh, I talked about it. Now it's over. I have to buy a copy. I want to go like highlight and get one for oh, my shelf. That's the best. It was good. All right, bring us home. My last one is a really good one. It is No Cure for Being Human by Kate Bowler. And I'm sure you've seen this on Instagram. It's been getting quite a lot of traction on Instagram. This is her new release. Katie from Basic Bees Guide put this on my radar. And this is her story about how do you move forward with a life you didn't choose? It's hard to give up on the feeling that 
The life you really want is just out of reach. A beach body by summer, a trip to Disneyland around the corner, a promotion on the horizon. Everyone wants to believe they are headed toward good, better, best. But what happens when the life you hoped for is put on hold indefinitely? Kate Bowler believed that life was a series of unlimited choices until at age 35, she finds out that her body is wracked with cancer. In this memoir, she searches for a way forward as she minds the wisdom and absurdity of today's best life now advice industry, which insists on exhausting positivity and on trying to convince us that we can out-eat, out-learn, and outperform our humanness. We are, she finds, as fragile as the day we were born. And that really, really makes this memoir very different. Because I've read several memoirs by people who are who have been dealing with cancer or whose books were published after they passed of cancer. This is different. Not only is the story different, it goes to places I was not expecting. So I would go into this not really knowing anything is what I would suggest. She has a way of writing. It is very witty. It's very honest. I do have to now get a print copy so Mm. I can highlight. It is one of those books. And she does narrate this story. And I know that sometimes that does elevate a story, especially a memoir, so much. But I really, really did think that the level of writing and the way she was able to get her thoughts and emotions and observations about the fact that, yes, we live in a society that is constantly telling us, especially women, you can, you can do this and your life will be better. And mm-hmm. if you just think positively and wake up smiling and, you know, everything that you need to be doing, your life can be better, mm-hmm. different. And what happens when none of that is going to work? Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Then how do you reevaluate le- your life? How do you go on each day? And that, and oh, that made this story so much better. And it's also kind of funny, the particulars that she picked out from the advice industry and a lot of the books that were mentioned and the people that were mentioned. I really, really loved it. I learned a lot. And like I said, this story goes in places you won't expect. Mm -hmm. So I, I would not at all say, oh, I don't want, I don't want to read, you know, about cancer that that is not, yes, that's what it's about, but it's not what it's about. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that everyone should give this a try, actually. And I am going to also go get her other book. The previous one is called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That Were Told. Oh, good. So that was one of, of the best life now kind of things she talked about. So this one is called No Cure for Being Human by Kate Fowler. First of all, that is a great title. Second of all, I love that she is kind of taking on this idea of toxic positivity. And I think mm-hmm. that there are a lot of like, oh, just look on the bright side. Just don't, you know, don't pay attention. Don't watch the news. It's sad. But sometimes you just have to look. Stuff is hard. Life is hard. Being mm-hmm. a human is hard. There's real things and you can't 
look on the bright side of your way out of a thing like a cancer diagnosis. So mm-hmm. I'm very right. compelled. You've also sold me on four books today. So I'm not sure what to do with this information. How am I to, I don't know. Well, I'm happy. Yeah. And also, I don't even know which one I would tell you to read first because I want you to read them mm-hmm. because I would love to talk. You want me to talk about, about them? Mm-hmm. any and all of these. All right. Well, yeah, I want to talk with you about well, them. Well, I get PTO at work. Let me just take a few days <laughs> in one and read them. Yeah. I really think that you would like each one. And I, tr- and I really think I tried to give myself a different reading experience mm-hmm. with each one of these. And I think I accomplished that. Yeah, you did and great. There's more, there's more to do as far as for me and memoir and reading, you know, outside of even what I'm reading now. Mm-hmm. But these I I loved each one of these books for different reasons. Yeah, you did good. I'm so, I'm so pleased. I, I wish I would have, it's just making me want to like search for more. And like, you do a good job of finding ones that I have not heard of, but they're also kind of not super famous people. Like I can read a famous memoir like any day of the week. Like that is mm-hmm. like my easy breezy reading. But I'm like, I love that you found these three. I had heard of the middle one, the one about the chef, obviously. Okay. I, I like those a lot, but yeah, these are, these are good. Okay. Well, are we ready for shelf editions? Yes. And I brought something totally different because I'm like, I need to pivot from, you know, nonfiction a little bit here. My mm-hmm. my shelf edition this week is one from a newly favorite author. It is called Fool Me Once, and it's by Ashley Winstead. And you might recognize her name. I mentioned her before on the podcast. It is the book that I brought was In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife. Fool Me Once is a total departure from that because this is a rom-com and not a thriller, but it sounded like it could be smart and fun. It is said to be a fierce and funny battle of the exes that explores the chaos of wanting what you already had. You have Lee Stone, and she is a 21st century woman. (laughs) She kicks butt at her job as a communications director at a female-run electric car company, and after work, she drinks guys under the table and never lets any of them get too comfortable in her bed. And that's because she has learned a big lesson, never trust love. Four major heartbreaks had set her straight, from her father cheating on her mom all the way to Ben Laterman in grad school who wasn't actually cheating on her, but she thought that he was, so she reciprocated. (laughs) But Ben then shows up five years later, and he is now working as a policy expert for the most liberal governor in Texas history, just as Lee is trying to get a clean energy bill rolling. So things get complicated, and they're forced to work together. Tensions build as old sparks reignite, and it fans the flames for a romantic dust-up the size of Texas. Now, I like a second chance love story. And more importantly, I'm always curious about authors who write in between genres. I'll definitely give this one a shot. It is called Fool Me Once by Ashley Winstead, and it comes out on April 5th, 2022. I also really like that title, Fool Me Once. Get it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a a second chance at love. Very good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Or Fool Me Once. What is it? Fool Me Once uh, or Fool Me Fool me once, shame on you. you. Fool me, Fool twice. me twice, shame on shame me. on me. So I wonder if that has anything to do uh-huh. with. I don't know what she's story. She's very good at giving. Well, somebody in her camp is good at t- titling books because I also mm-hmm. like the other one. Yeah, that's good. Okay, what do you I got? also I also went outside of mm-hmm. nonfiction and I am bringing Fake by Erica Katz, who wrote The Boys Club. 
which we both liked. Ooh, I love yeah. that book. Yay. So it comes out February 22nd of 2022. And this is a gripping novel set in the high stakes world of art forgery that moves across the globe from the trendy art galleries of Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood to the high-flying international art fairs of Hong Kong. So you have main character Emma Kane is a fake. She's a forger, an artist who specializes in 19th century paintings. But she isn't a criminal. Her copies are commissioned by museums and ultra-wealthy collectors protecting their investments. Emma's more than mastered a Van Gogh wheat field, but her work is sometimes a painful reminder of the artistic dreams she once chased for herself when she was younger and before her family and her world fell apart. When an art collector unexpectedly appears with an invitation, Emma sees a way out, a new job, a new path for herself, and access to the kind of money she needs to support her unstable and recently widowed mother. But every invitation incurs an obligation, and Emma isn't prepared for what's to come. As she's pulled further into the opulent scene, she will discover what's lurking beneath the glitz and glamour. When she does, the past she's worked hard to overcome will collide with the present, making her wonder how much of her carefully curated life is just as fake as her forgeries. It sounds dramatic. I like it. (laughs) Uh, the drama. That, that was Fake by Erica Katz. Yeah. You literally didn't even need to tell me what it was about. I was like, Erica Katz, I'm going to try her again. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as I saw this pop up on NetGalley, I was I, I was like, I don't care. I I, need I loved The Boys Club. And so this is just a going with a trusted author. But I really, I really like the sound of like the trendy art like high stakes art world. Cause I know nothing about that. So know, that's going to be fun. really fun. Yeah. Wow. We both did uh, trusted authors for our shelf edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're thinking 2022, aren't we? we are Even though I said I wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what we're thinking about? All right. That's it for today. Thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like exclusive bonus content, you can join us on Patreon for $5 a month. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to etc. at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at etc. on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you in two weeks. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Bye. Have a good holiday. If you celebrate. Bye. (laughs) See you soon. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on Shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again.